Okay, so as you all know, last week, Pastor Scott started us on a mini-series here at Calvary. We're going to go through our five doctrinal distinctives. These are listed on our website at calvarylahuna.org under the What We Believe tab. Last week, Pastor Scott preached on us being passionate about gospel centrality. This week, I will be preaching on the second doctrinal distinctive of Calvary. We enthusiastically embrace the sovereignty of God's grace in saving sinners. What I'm going to read next is actually right off of our website so that you know what the doctrine is. We affirm that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, not on a basis of foreseen faith, but unconditionally, according to his sovereign good pleasure and will. We believe that through the work of the Holy Spirit, God will draw the elect to faith in his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, graciously and effectually overcoming their stubborn resistance to the gospel so that they will most assuredly and willingly believe. We also believe that these, the elect of God, whom he gave to the Son, will persevere in belief and godly behavior and be kept secure in their salvation by grace through faith. We believe that God's sovereignty in this salvation neither diminishes the responsibility of people to believe in Christ nor marginalizes the necessity and power of prayer and evangelism, but rather reinforces and establishes them as the ordained means by which God accomplishes his ordained ends. Now on the website, there's several passages of scripture underneath this that will show how Calvary came to this belief. I have chosen one of them to share with you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, open up with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 1 through 10. Beginning in verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let us pray this morning. Father in heaven, we come before your throne today thankful for your mercy, Lord. Thankful for your grace and thankful for your goodness. We cannot be in prayer long enough to thank you for all the blessings you bestow upon us. We are so grateful to you, Lord God. And we magnify and praise your holy name. 
Jesus, please help our hearts to not be troubled or anxious this morning, but help us to open our hearts and minds to your word. Help us to place our attention and our affection on you, creating us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Lord Jesus, help me to be faithful to your word this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. I ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, I like points, so you, for you point takers out there, I have three of them today. We're going to start with point one, our position without Christ. So verse one this morning doesn't start very encouraging. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty hopeless. Sounds pretty helpless. Sounds like we don't have a chance. In the ESV, trespasses are defined as violations of God's divine commandments. And sins are defined as offenses against God in word, thought, or deed. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So with the word all there, it's very clear that this is going to apply to everyone this morning. No exceptions. Our text says that we were dead in them. Dead in our trespasses and sins. This is referring to us as being spiritually dead, which is how we were born. And then apart from Jesus, we will die physically and endure the second death. first part of Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Our due reward, our payment for our disobedience against a holy God is death. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin entered into the world. We are born with a sin nature. There is no way around it. We have no inclination or responsiveness toward God and no ability to please him. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says this. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless no one does good, not even one. I bet you're excited you're here this morning, huh? Just beating it up this morning. And this passage goes on. I don't have time to read it all this morning, but you're, you're getting the point. The Bible is not painting a very pretty picture of the human race. Let's look at verse 2. In which you once walked, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So I've already explained that this is applying to everyone. Even those of us this morning who have been passed from darkness to light started here. This is where we once walked. The prince of the power of the air is Satan. The devil is the father of disobedience. And therefore, his children are the sons of disobedience. I find it interesting here that the Apostle Paul uses the term sons 
You will recall from previous teaching that the significance of being the son was the inheritance that was passed down to him from his father. It was only the son who would receive this blessing. However, we see son here in a very different light. Just as the sons of God receive the inheritance of eternal life in God's kingdom, the sons of disobedience will inherit their just reward, and that is hell for eternity. Verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The passions of our flesh and the desires of our body is the very thing we are dead in from verse 1. It's our sinful nature. It's our rejection of God. In Romans, Paul calls us enemies of God. We are children of wrath because we are subject to the wrath of a holy God. So at this point, we are dead, continuing to be dead, until for all eternity, we will die eternally. That brings us to point two. God's position towards us. So the first three verses isn't isn't a whole lot of fun. But this is where it's going to get more exciting. All we have seen so far in this passage, all of the hopelessness, all of the helplessness, we will now turn our attention to possibly the two biggest three-letter words in the Bible. But God. Yes, I love that, Kelly. I love that. But God. Now we're going to look at the mercy of our great God. Verse 4 reads, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Amen? All the doom and gloom so far this morning, we should be excited about that. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to hear about the mercy of my great God. Let's consider his mercy for a moment. What is mercy? Mercy is forgiving the sinner and withholding the punishment that is justly deserved. What does the Bible say about God's mercy? Here's a few examples. God's mercy is great, 1 Kings 3.6. God's mercy is plenteous, Psalm 86.5. God's mercy is tender, Luke 1.78. God's mercy is abundant, 1 Peter 1.3. God's mercy is from everlasting to everlasting to those that fear him. Psalm 103.17. Then here in our text this morning, we are told that God is rich in mercy. His mercy knows no bounds. His mercy cannot be contained or measured. It is without end. Amen? We haven't even touched on the great love with which he loved us. For me, John 3.16 and 17 comes to mind which may come to yours, that was what Scott preached on last week, including verse 18. Verse 16 says, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. As we move on to verse 5, it, it starts by repeating the hopelessness and helplessness that we saw in the first three verses. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Even though we have talked about sins and trespasses, I want us to focus on the first word of this verse, even. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we were made alive together with Christ. This is because we were foreknown before the foundation of the world. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's people were chosen before the earth was even created. God in his sovereignty knew who would ultimately receive his son. So if we are spiritually dead, how can we make a conscious decision for Christ? How can I call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved if I'm dead in my trespasses and sins, following the prince of the power of the air, living out the passions of my flesh and carrying out the desires of my body and of my mind? The answer is simply grace. What is grace? Grace is heaping undeserved blessings upon the sinner. And the faith required to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe on his name is granted to us by the Father. In John 6, Jesus says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Remember, the wages of sin is death. Death is what we deserve as sinners. God does not owe us anything. God created a perfect world in which we could enjoy perfect fellowship, and we ruined that. We decided to do it our own way. I'll tell you what Proverbs has to say about man's way. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Our way didn't work in the garden. It isn't working now, and it's not going to work in the future. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in spite of us, our arrogance, our hate for God, our rebellion, God made us alive together with Christ. Amen? If that does not excite you this morning, if that does not set your heart on fire for Jesus, your wick is wet. God regenerates us spiritually. He passes us from death to life. He gives us eternal life through Christ Jesus, his son. 
Let's move on to verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead, understand that he conquered death. Death was defeated. Death has no hold on a child of God. We are raised up with him. This is what baptism symbolizes. We are buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection to walk in newness of life. We become a new creation in Christ Jesus. It is so shameful for a Christian to walk around acting defeated. You are a son of the Most High God. You're a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When Jesus returns for his bride, we will be made incorruptible and immortal. This next passage, I struggled with if I wanted to put it in here, but it's, it's beautiful. So I'm going to read it for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 51 through 57. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of sin is the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the victory. It's already done. Not only that, we will rule and reign with Jesus. Daniel 7.27 says this, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Let's look at verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So in verse 4, we saw that God is rich in mercy. Now in verse 7, we see the immeasurable riches of his grace. How good is our God? Yeah. David says in Psalm 106.1, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. If you want to turn back a page in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22, we see the immeasurable greatness of God's power that he worked through Christ when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. 
we get to share in that inheritance with Jesus. We are joint heirs in Christ. Romans 8, 16, and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Why do you think God has lavished such love upon his people? I'll tell you why. He has lavished us with such a great love so that for all of eternity we will marvel over the incredible love and kindness of our God. With all of eternity before us, we will never be able to fathom the depth of God's endless love. Point three, our position with Christ. Which we've talked a little bit about, but we're going to get into it a little deeper now. Verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. We are saved by grace. Now remember, grace is giving us undeserved blessings. We chose to sin against God back in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. Adam chose to sin, and he didn't even have a sin nature yet. And if you're sitting there this morning thinking that it's all Adam's fault, think again. We deny Jesus over and over. And I'm not even talking about the unsaved. I'm talking about born-again Christians. How do we accept Jesus through faith if we are dead? Do dead men talk? No. Well, I'm glad you asked. It is not our doing, the text says. It is a gift from God. Even the faith required for salvation is given to us by God. Ephesians 1.4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. I want to explain this next section on God's elect very carefully. God's salvation is available to all. For God so loved the world, John 3.16, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Acts 16.31. I could go on and on. However, the Bible is also very clear that many will reject him. The path is wide that leads to destruction. I said a few weeks ago that we were created by God, designed by God to glorify God. Amen? That is our sole purpose for existing. 
God chose who would be the bride of Christ before the foundation of the world. We are God's creation, created for his good pleasure and will. And he can do with, with us what he wants. He could have sent us all to hell, but he didn't. God in his mercy and grace and great love with which he loved us made a way for us to have fellowship with him once again. Romans 9, 20 through 26, I think explains this pretty well. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. This is not a part of our theology that should make us sad. Or cause us to question the goodness of God. This is so beautiful. And so amazing. God chose us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Hell was never even an option for God's elect. We were sealed in him before Adam even ate the fruit. Glory be to the Most High. We are secure in Jesus Christ. I want us to ponder for a moment the grace that God has given us. I want you to think in your own life the grace that he has given you. If you're struggling with if he has given you any grace, I assure you that he has. At the very, very least, you are alive and here this morning under the preaching of God's word. God has given you another opportunity to receive his amazing grace. I think of God's grace in my own life. I shared some of my testimony with you a couple weeks ago. And God has given me so much grace. I deserve none of it, but God, amen, but God in his goodness and with the great love with which he loved us gives us grace that is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. Say it with me. 
God's grace is sufficient. Amen. I hope we're resting in the amazing, endless grace of our great God this morning. Furthermore, I also want to add that we do not know who God's elect are. This is for God to know and God alone. I don't want to hear anyone saying, well, I guess I'm not God's elect, so I can't be saved. To quote the Apostle Paul, by no means. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. If you believe that Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, this is important because through the seed of Adam, we are born with a sin nature. And Jesus did not have a sin nature because he did not have an earthly father. If you believe that Jesus lived a sinless life, this is another very important point because he was fully God, but also fully man. And he was tempted in every way we are, but without sin. He also had to be sinless to be the perfect payment for our sin, to be the perfect sacrifice. If you believe that Jesus shed his precious blood and died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, remember the penalty for sin, the wages of sin is death. And if you believe that he rose from the dead on the third day and is seated at the right hand of the Father and you have put your faith and trust in the saving name of Jesus Christ, you are God's elect. Amen? If you haven't done so, you can. You can be God's elect. I love this teaching in the Bible because it makes God so much bigger. How else could he work all things together for good to those that love him if he didn't know everything? I don't want my God to be surprised. God knew before the foundation of the world all the things we would mess up. All the times we would shake our fist at him and accuse him of not being good. And yet here he is, being good. His love story to us is so intricate, so intimate. We will never understand how deep the Father's love for us. Where else can you find that kind of security? Where better to place your hope than in Jesus? Who is more interested in you than Jesus? Oh, friends, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen? Our salvation is truly a gift of God. Let's continue on to verse 9. You got excited when we got to point 3, but point 3 is the long one. So, Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
Salvation is not by works. If salvation was attained by works, then those that are saved will get the glory. Let's, let's measure our righteousness up with the Bible for a second. Isaiah 64, 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. What are you going to do with that? You certainly are not going to trade it in for eternal life. There is absolutely nothing you can do to win the favor of God. We are eternally separated from God because of our sin. God cannot look upon our sin. He hates sin. In fact, because of God's holiness, lost my thought, we cannot just be neutral or without sin to stand before him. That's not good enough. We have to be clothed in Christ's imputed righteousness to stand before God. What does imputed mean? Imputed means that just as God saw our sin on Jesus as he hung on the cross, when God looks at me, when God looks at you as a child of God, he sees Jesus' righteousness. Amen? That's the only way we can stand before a holy God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Having the righteousness of Christ imputed to us doesn't mean we'll never sin again. We still have our sin nature until we are made perfect and perfectly sanctified in heaven someday. This simply makes us positionally righteous before God. We are seen as sinless before God. 1 Corinthians 1.30 And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Amen? To continue this passage on to verse 31, it goes on to say, So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Our salvation is not of works, so that no one may boast. But I have plenty to boast about when it comes to my God. I will boast in my redemption. I will boast in my salvation. I will boast in my justification all the days of my life because of my awesome God. Our God is so good. Our God has no equal. Our God will reign forever. Finally, we come to verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
we are his workmanship. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then in Genesis 2, 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Wow. Friends, we are created by God, designed by God to glorify God. This is our purpose for existing. I spoke earlier about our righteousness being filthy rags. That is before Christ saves us. After we are saved, we show our love for God by keeping his commandments. We don't just receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. We also receive him as our Lord. Jesus says in John chapter 14 that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. Now, I'm not talking about being a checkbox Christian. We don't like those here at Calvary. No. And following a list of rules. We are free in Christ Jesus. Amen? We are no longer bound by the chains of our sin. We are no longer bound by the law. But we show Jesus our love by doing what he has asked us to do. He has asked us to be in fellowship with him. He has asked us to love our neighbors as ourselves. He has asked us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Are we interested in the things of God? Do we desire in our heart of hearts to serve him? Has he not done enough for you? What more could you possibly want Jesus to do for you? What more could you possibly want than Jesus? If you're thinking this through and your answers are not favorable, if there's not a longing in your heart for Jesus, you need to ask him to change that. Ask Jesus to soften your heart if you have strayed away from him. Ask him to save you if you never asked him to save. If you're sitting there and you're like, man, I'd like to be God's elect, that'd be pretty cool. Ask him for it. It's a free gift. It is a gift of God. It is a gift that costs God's only son, Jesus Christ, his life. And he did it for you. He did it for me.
Don't believe for a second that Jesus was somehow powerless and forced to hang on that cross. Remember, we said he was fully man. He was also fully God. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he didn't. He hung there and he shed his blood for us. He submitted his will to the Father. Won't you submit your will to him today? I have heard people say, I haven't heard it from anyone here, so don't worry, don't look around. But I've heard, heard people ask, why do we always have to talk about Jesus this and Jesus that? Why do we always talk about the cross and Jesus' blood? Why do we call out for people to get saved Sunday after Sunday? And then if you're here next week, it'll be next Sunday too. It's because Jesus is the answer. Jesus is everything. Acts 4.12 says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is literally nothing more important that you can do than to give your heart to Jesus Christ. Don't delay. We are not promised tomorrow. If you are waiting for the right time, let me help you. It is now. You are playing a dangerous game by waiting to receive Jesus. We are not promised tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come. Tomorrow may be too late. This is a very exciting passage of scripture that we got to go through this morning. When Pastor Scott said we would be doing the five doctrinal distinctives, I, I asked for this one specifically because I have learned so much about God's grace and the sovereignty of God right here at Calvary. We are so blessed as believers to have a church that loves Jesus, a church that preaches the word of God without compromise, a church full of disciples of Jesus Christ dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the great love with which you love us. Thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your plan of salvation. Thank you for calling us before the foundation of the world. Our hearts rejoice in you, Father. We long to behold our God face to face. I cannot begin to fathom what eternity with you will be like. But Lord, for those who are facing eternity without you, please help them. Please draw them to yourself. I know you will not save everyone, but I also know, Father, that you are not willing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. Lord Jesus, I pray we will have repentant spirits. I pray for your will to be made manifest here through this body of believers. We love you, Lord. We live and breathe to bring honor and glory to your holy name. I pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. As we